Hey everyone, I'd like to welcome you to the show and just remind everyone that we have shirts in the shop. Go to pgttcm.com. You can pick up shirts, stickers. We even have those shower curtains I was talking about last time. Also, you can join us on Patreon and get a free sticker. Check out the show notes and learn how you can be a part of People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends, help support the show any way you can. Patreon users, uh, you get a free sticker, at least. So check out what we've got. Uh, Show notes, that's where you're going to find our PayPal link and our sponsors and any information about any guests that are on the show and where to find them. Thank you. You're listening to KZOM, Olean Public Radio. 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 It is me, D.B. Spitzer, and as always, to my virtual right, Farmer Dave, how are you doing this week? I am doing well, but next week I'm going to sneak onto your virtual left just to throw the audience off. Uh-oh. I'll, I'll, we like to keep people on their toes here. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll have to remember to uh, set the laptop laptop the laptop on the other side of my uh, main computer that I record off of. Uh, okay, so... Uh, Hey, Dave, uh, what's new in your neck of the woods? Not much, you know, we're kind of getting, you know, that the rest of the world's getting hit by uh, killer clown weather and ghost pirate fog, and we seem to be just, yeah, regular, you know. It's kind of chilly. In January. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, anything. Nope, sorry. Big, big holiday celebrations coming up. In about, what, about three weeks in uh, Oleander, Oregon, where we're going to have John Fromm Day. Yep, yep. Real close to my birthday. Are you John Fromm? I am not John Fromm, but I have been known to celebrate John Fromm on my birthday. Oh, well, cool. Yeah, yeah. I I put on some fake soldier uniforms. That's cool, but then, you know, you, 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 you know, you get a pineapple and it's like... Shouldn't I get two pineapples, one for my birthday and one for John Fromm Day? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but, you know, so. I only ever get one pineapple. It's, it's like, no, it's it's both. It's both. And I'm like, ugh. You know, when, when yeah. your birthday is really close to Valentine's Day and John Fromm Day, you end up with a lot of uh, chocolates and a lot of pineapple and a lot of, like, large um, aircraft made out of... Um, like bamboo and reeds. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, um, I totally scored today. I was going to A1 Grocery to pick up some energy drinks and uh, canned water for recording today because I always like to have that kind of stuff on hand. And I was walking past uh, 
Pinky's house, and I don't think it's Pinky's, but I think it may be her roommate or her neighbor's, but I got a guitar stand and a sheet music holder, and I was like, ooh, score. So um, I double-checked. I, I shouted, hey, is this stuff free? And uh, someone said, yeah, that's free, and I went, cool. So... I got that. It is I was, cool. I was, I was, I was really excited. I'm, I'm still you jazzed about it. You have to make sure it doesn't have any cursed music or any blood or genetic, you know, leftover from a murder. No, no, no. Um, there is you a. You really ought to do that. Yeah, there's a sticker on one that says "Welcome to Kingsport," and uh, I looked for any etchings or any, uh, any, any stuff like that with this town. You really, you know, no one puts anything outside unless it's like, you know, a wine case cursed by a dybbuk or a music box that makes you age slowly. It's stupid stuff like that. Um, was, there, was there a sticker that said not used in multiple gruesome homicides? <laughs> there was not a sticker like that. Uh, no trace yeah, it of... It still be okay. Yeah, no, no. no I, I, not, someone might have pulled it off and still not used it. Yeah, yeah. Um, not even in a uh, previously owned by Eric Zahn on any of this stuff. So I was like, oh. Huh, someone from out of town must have been here. And, uh, yeah, yeah. So, so, so you, you're, you're speaking of, uh, uh, of getting, uh, you know, uh, wa canned water and, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, energy drinks. Uh-huh. They, they do have the Devil's Fizzy Water. Mm-hmm. The Devil's Fizzy Water has caffeine in it. Yes, it does. So good, good, good. Good upstanding places like Boring and Sandy, you can't go get Devil's Fizzy Water. You have to get to get uh, if you want your fizzy water with caffeine, you have to go to to Oleander. Yeah, yeah, it's a weird restriction in that part of Oregon. So um, today we're uh, we're talking about the Dreamlands, I think, right? Yes. Um, what do you what do you think is one of the first things that people should know about the Dreamlands? Um, so, so class, pay attention to Dreamlands 101. Um, so I think that, first of all, Lovecraft, this was when Lovecraft really started thinking, hey, maybe I can make some money off of this. Mm -hmm. Maybe I can get some, some fame off it. Uh, and it's from basically, uh, 1921. Mm -hmm to uh, Dream Quest of the Unknown Cadiz is in 1926. Mm -hmm. Now, it's going to be mentioned in things like the Silver Key, yeah. you know. Um, uh, even, um, it's going to even be mentioned in um, Mountains of Madness or, but he really sort of jumps gears after 1926 kind of wraps it up yeah with the uh, combines the the dream quest of the unknown Kadith with his um, cosmic horror stories by sending his uh, author proxy uh, or author avatar mm -hmm. um, Robert I mean uh, Carter yep uh, Randolph Carter into this universe and he started saying this is Canon. Mm -hmm. So this stuff happened. It's in a different universe, but this he, he he sort of closed it out, and it's one of his more better known stories. Yeah, uh, one of his more better liked stories, and he didn't really jump into Dreamlands a lot before that mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. after that. Yeah, uh, and I um, 
Was there anything else you wanted to say, or? Nope, nope, that's it. All right, everyone, on to the next topic. No, uh, yeah, yeah, I wanted to, like, how do we get to the dreamlands? I mean, I, I know from the game there's multiple ways to get to the dreamlands, but I think Lovecraft just uh, says he got a dream and walked down a bunch of steps and talked to two guys, and then you're there. Uh, pretty much. It seems <laughs> to be, it seems to be almost... A genetic thing mm -hmm. that that you either had this genetic empathy to the dreamland yeah. and you realize it's just more than just dreams and it's this real world um, and people that were either had it it's like night vision you either yeah. have this connection or, or, or you don't yeah and Randolph Carter um, it's uh, had it uh, I believe they're also, and definitely this could be added by the games, it could be crossed through portals and yeah. spells. Yeah, and um, I believe there's even been, like, some people, I don't know if this is more homebrew or what, but um, people using, like, reagents or, like, uh, like drugs or something like that to reach the dreamlands. Uh, I know Delta Green has had, or no, am, am I thinking uh, like later Cthulhu, Call of Cthulhu stuff, had things about like people using uh, narcotics to get to a uh, state that's uh, more conducive to the dreamlands. But Yes, and, and I, I honestly, Lovecraft didn't turn away from drugs. Yeah. You know, the, the um, main character in Dagon, Dagon is, yeah. is, is a is addicted to drugs because of what he saw. Yeah. But what I really think sort of got this open the doors mm -hmm. uh, is Belknap Long's um, Hounds of Tenedalus. Yes. Yeah. So so then we see, you know, he travels in time with drugs. Mm -hmm. uh, we see that there's drugs that allow you to withstand space while a, a Baki carries you off into space. Yeah. So I'm not sure of any authors really I, or push the sort of the dreamland by drugs or if um, if uh, it's um, chaosium that sort of pushes that sort of the, the drugs yeah 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 I, I, I definitely feel like chaosium and ah, I want to say it's like Dreams of Ma uh, not dreams of Mask of <laughs> Masks of Naralathetep or um, uh, horror which, which don't go into because I'm like I'm like twenty percent into that campaign. Okay, and horror or horror on the Orient Express. I can't remember which, but I think one of them has like a Dreamland section, and they make it so that pretty much a bunch of people can go to the Dreamlands. Um, but I can't remember if that's actually that or if someone swapped that out with another adventure. Well, okay, well Chaosium <laughs> makes an entire, and they've done it actually at least two. Yeah. Dreamland supplements. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even the Dreamland supplements, I think there's something about uh, drugs in there too. But I, it's it's been a while and I don't have my third edition Dreamlands book in the studio right now, so... Yeah. So, so, yeah. I, but I think that, I think that I think the drugs. So what what we kind of see that is, and, and I think it's very important. We're sort of jumping all over this. Yeah. Lovecraft was extremely influenced by Lord Dunsany. Definitely, definitely. In his Pangea. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and in fact, Lovecraft's pretty open on this. Mm -hmm. uh, 
and there's at least one story where Dead Zany has a guy going traveling yeah. into what's basically the the dreamland. Mm-hmm. But also where Lovecraft, where the guy basically he he gives up his his daytime life. Mm-hmm. His waking life, he comes, you know, shamble, loses his job. Yeah. And, and I think that there's a maybe a throwaway line about how he t- takes like sleeping pills to, to stay in the the dreamlands. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely there, but um, absolutely, Lovecraft is influenced by the writings of, of Lord Lord Dunsany. Yeah. Can Can I tell you one of my favorite parts of the Dreamlands? Since we're now going to probably go into a little bit of geography and things that we can find in the Dreamlands, my sure. personal favorite area is the underground of the Dreamlands with the Vale of Panath, where the ghouls and the gugs. And the, oh man, who else is there? Ghasts all hang out, all the creepy monsters in complete darkness. And uh, I don't know, uh, like uh, like yucky water, uh, lake of gross water. And, you know, it's, it's, it's the part that I always am like, yeah, that's my favorite part of the book. But... <laughs> and, and, and again, it's been expanded on. Oh yeah. But the part that I always liked are kind of the 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 desert areas mm-hmm. that are very reminiscent of um, Arabian Nights. Okay. okay, which we know you know is one of the most influential books on a young Lovecraft. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, uh, let's see. Uh, what what places does Lovecraft not uh, mention? Uh, Salafias, which is its own story. Uh, which King Karanis uh, created way back in the early days. Um, let's see. There's Ulthar. The Ulthar. There's Ulthar, where no cats can be killed from the uh, Cats of Ulthar story. And and, and so Lovecraft, I mean, it, it, we're probably going to repeat this a dozen times, mm-hmm. took from uh, Lord Dunzany. Yeah. But that kind of influence, that kind of seemed to me kind of like... Uh, some of the stories that um, uh, Ambrose Pierce wrote. Okay, yeah. So that kind of reminds me, you know, of Hatia, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, God of the Shepherds. Yeah. Which were kind of these sort of, I don't know how you describe morality stories, but that yeah. and, um, you know, the yellow sign. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, it's, it's almost this, the Cats of Ulthar, yeah. It's basically this sort of morality folk tale told in the dreamlands. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and uh, Lovecraft being a huge fan of cats. I mean, I I don't think I could write a story about people torturing cats if I... <laughs> I mean, I, I, I love cats. I'm, I'm a huge cat fan, but I don't think I could write... I mean, my stomach's not in that. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, cats are a huge part of the dreamlands. Um, we first encounter cats in the Enchanted Woods that also are is the home of the Zooks, which are like uh, little raccoon-type creatures with tentacles over their mouth, and they'll, yeah. they'll, they'll get you. <laughs> um, let's see, what else do we have? We have Ulthar, uh, we have Diathlete. Sarnath? Sarnath, yeah, yeah, we've talked about Sarnath, the ruins of a great civilization. But yeah, um... Let's see, there's Sarnath. What else is there? There's uh, Diathlene, which is a port town. Um, 
There is also a knowable Kadath, which is, you know, spoiler, uh, kind of where uh, the domain of the great old ones and the gods of uh, the dreamlands hang out. Um, let's see, there's uh, the dreamlands moon, which uh, can be sailed to by ship or uh, you can get there by cat. <laughs> You still there, Dave? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and and I th- and again, other people have come in in the last hundred years mm-hmm. and, and added things, but oh, those yeah. are, are pretty much for for something that's pretty much what we have for something that pretty much went on from you know 1919 to kind of finishing up in 1926. Mm-hmm. We don't really have a lot of Lovecraftian dreamland stories. No, there are no. probably more that were written. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are more some of the ideas. You know, the, the thing, uh, the thing in the the moonlight. Yeah, uh, that was just basically an idea that he had written to talk to uh, bouncing off uh, Donald Wondering. Okay, all right. Um, um, and again. I, I think it would be very. Um, we we wouldn't do it justice to, you know. We talked about cats. Lovecraft loved cats, mm-hmm. but he had sort of this weird relationship with dreams. Yeah, where a lot of them were nightmares, and so um, a lot of his dreams are going to become stories. Yeah, and even ones that have been linked to other by others into the dream cycle mm-hmm. that I would not necessarily but Narlahotep yeah you know Narlahotep makes more sense having take place somewhere in the dreamland mm-hmm. than it does in the real world yeah um, and, and I'm not really sure if and Narlahotep was based on a dream he had yeah and so I'm not quite sure. I've always sort of thought this off as a different dimension where, you know, the world got wiped out by Narlahotep in the mm-hmm. 30s. But if you want to really sort of put everything in canon, Narlahotep makes more sense, except for the fact that he knew what, you know, electricity is mm-hmm. happening in the dreamlands than, yeah. than the real world. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, no, it's it does make uh, it does make for an interesting concept. But yeah, unfortunately, there is references to uh, uh, waking world uh, events. Uh, it's a great story, uh, and so is uh, the uh, dream quest of unknown Cadeth. Um, yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot of stuff that I have to say. It's it's very reminiscent of a lot of like stories written around like the late 18th, uh, 1800s, early uh, 20th century, uh, like these new American uh, uh, fairy tales like The Wizard of Oz, or even if we go back uh, like a few years before that. Knickerbock Tales. Yeah, yeah. And I was also going to even throw in like Alice in Wonderland and stuff like that, where you have these stories of like a person traveling, you know, uh, it's pretty much a travelogue through an unknown world. And the 
you know, the friends that they meet along the way, the people that they meet along the way, those that they defeat. And then at some point in time, you know, the, um, I don't know, the whole uh, story circle uh, monomyth thing that all these <laughs> stories the, the, share. The pre- predates uh, Joseph Campbell. Yeah. Um, yeah. Pilgrim's Progress. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Is, a, is another one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Now, wh- now I got a, another story. Sure. And I know we're jumping around, yeah. so. Um, but I got another story by Lovecraft that I think almost sort of, it takes place in the real world of mm-hmm. Lovecraft, but it has very, very Dunzanian aspects and sort of picturism, and that's the uh, oh, uh, the strange house, uh, strange high house in the mist. Yes, yeah, which. It's going to be written in the 20s mm-hmm. uh, in uh, 1926, but it like a lot of Lovecraft stuff that 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 which was published mm-hmm. in his lifetime. Yeah, it's not going to be really published until the early 30s, 1931. Okay. Sure, um, and which um, that you've got that's almost a connection to. It doesn't quite say it, but in this art, this description, mm-hmm. the paintings he sees, and, yeah. you know, on the walls of the house, that is very Denzanian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And, and like uh, most, uh, it was published in Weird Tales. And like most, not all, but most Lovecraft stories, it was not the cover story. Yeah. You know, cover stories, of course, got. Um, you got paid extra if your story if they painted the cover on it you get paid extra mm-hmm. so that's why we've got people like Howard are going to yeah well put in some sort of titillation but uh, the cover of the weird tales that was published uh, that the uh, strange high house in the mist was published in mm-hmm. uh, has Tam son of the tiger which is kind of a Tarzan mm-hmm. rip off uh, fighting a giant uh, apes over a, a beautiful white woman okay yeah <laughs> where, where but where if you think that oh what kind of if they'd done some sort of art what was inside the paintings of nodens and stuff inside the house but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that might almost be given too much away yeah yeah that's that's an interesting story and very fantastical in a way that doesn't quite fit with lovecraft's more massachusetts type arkham uh, Miskatonic Valley type stuff. Uh, not very quote-unquote Lovecraftian, but also very Lovecraftian in the same way, just the dream cycle. Um, one other place I wanted to talk about, uh, we briefly mentioned the moon, but we did not mention moon beasts, which are eyeless white frog things um, yes. that I think, I can't remember off the top of my head, they either have enslaved the um, Men of Lang or Sarcomon. Uh, capital city of the Men of Lang is abandoned and fell into ruins when the moon beasts enslave the Langanites and take them elsewhere. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah. All right. So, Sarcomon. Uh, yeah, capital city of the Men of Lang. Uh, that's another place um, that is mentioned. There's all kinds of stuff that is mentioned, but I think we're going to go into those more specifically when we run across them, as opposed to just naming them all. <laughs> sure. One thing about the, the Moon Beast, yeah. too, uh-huh. um, 
They were mentioned in a Marvel Comics. Oh, cool. Uh, Marvel Comics, you know, has its own little dream cycle, dream sure. world. Yeah. And, and so I'm going to take this back that they're not mentioned, mm-hmm. but they're described. Okay. They are so set up as, um, um, I mean, it's obvious what they are, but they never use the word. Yeah. Uh, and including, uh, we'll probably cover this a little bit later, but the Earth of 616, mm-hmm. which is the main Marvel universe. Yeah. It has its own Richard Upton uh, Pickman. Oh, interesting. Uh, and again, this weren't, these were... I mean, not a major character, mm-hmm. but there are a lot of. We got to remember that, especially the guys who wrote the comics, uh, Denny O'Neill, mm-hmm. Donald Wandry, yeah, uh, in the seventies and the eighties, mm-hmm. they were huge uh, fans of pulp stories. Oh yeah, yeah. especially Lovecraft, mm-hmm. and we get that, and they like to put in as much. Uh, horror as possible yeah lovecraftian horror they could sneak in mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and i'm sure we're gonna cover that a little bit more no oh, sure but uh but yeah they do appear in some of the the canonical horror stories yeah yeah huh how many are from the negative zone <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about that some other time <laughs> All right. Um, anything else we want to talk about for the Dreamlands just for this, like, kind of cruising it over? You know, other than, and I think that they are somewhat, I, I think it's the nature of fantasy. Yeah, yeah. That fantasy is relegated quite often mm-hmm. to uh, juvenile, uh, I mean, uh, you know, juvenile and that they're seen as, you know, children's story. Yeah. These aren't necessarily children. There is definitely a fantastic aspect yeah. to it. And it's not like serious adult things. No. But because fantasy in general mm-hmm. is seen more as sort of a child. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that a lot of Lovecraft's uh, Dreamlands are just overlooked. Yeah. Or sped through. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I'll i admit, uh, first time, I uh, back when I first started reading Lovecraft, I just kind of skimmed through uh, the Dreamland stuff, looking for cosmic horror things and being like, ugh, this is boring. And then reading it again, like, probably two years later and going, okay, okay, cool, cool. All right. Ken was right. <laughs> no, I didn't know Ken Hyde at that point in time. But, um... <laughs> Um, yeah, no, uh, Dream Quest of Unknown Kadath, the Dreamlands, the White Ship, uh, all, all that fun stuff is, is, is a really good collection. It's, 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 it's a, a nice kind of fleshed out world with enough stuff that's been kept ambiguous that other people can take the mantle of Lovecraft and go with it, take, take the torch and run. And, um, yeah, I, 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 I highly recommend that you check out, uh, Dream Quest of Unknown Kadath. If you haven't out there, everyone, you're going to find, uh, I'm sure several audio books about it. I know at one point in time, there was an animated version being made. I don't know if that was ever finished. And, uh, 
of course, there is the Chaosium uh, Sourcebook to the Dreamlands, which I really highly recommend. It's got all kinds of cool stuff. Uh, the older version, I don't know if there's a newer version, but the older version I really loved, have always loved the illustrations in it. It's, it's kind of that older style, black and white uh, spot illustrations found in a lot of RPGs. But yeah, anything, anything you want to throw into that pile of uh, words there, Dave? Yeah, so they definitely uh, just Chaosium had two uh, versions of uh, the Dreamlands, mm -hmm. uh, and the first one you will see um, you probably recognize by the cover. It's a thinner book. Um, it is black and it has basically like a wall of faces. Yeah. Then they reprinted it with about twice a lot of the original stuff, but twice as much. And that's the uh, one with the book. And on that one. Um, you have uh, like a ship yeah. and a, uh, like a green, you know, Poseidon. Mm -hmm. um, and it has most of the stuff at the first printing. Yeah. But it has a lot of later things. Uh, again, a good portion of it is going to be uh, adventures, mm -hmm. including reprints. Oh, yeah. But it's the research there is amazing. So mm -hmm. if you, even if you're not a game player. Yeah. Uh, and you and to be honest, uh, I believe it was fourth or fifth that it was printed. Ah, so okay. now the seventh E. I don't know if there. I I'm not sure if there's a full Dreamland Seven E out yet. I don't mm -hmm. think there is. Okay. But um, even if you're not going to play the game, uh, it's worth picking up. Oh yeah. And you can get the original one at least pretty cheap. I think on eBay. Maybe not. It. Uh, I got mine. Uh, even when after it was old, you know, I got mine at a, uh, a game store, you yeah. know, for like five bucks. And, they, you know, they're, we're getting rid of stuff pile. So, yeah, if you, look out, you can probably find it. Yeah, no, I remember finding my copy in a uh, bookstore in Eugene, Oregon. And uh, that's where I would go to uh, buy Call of Cthulhu stuff. And uh, apparently a lot of people didn't play Call of Cthulhu in Eugene, but... Uh, stuff would pop up in the comic book uh, RPG. Get your acts together, Eugene. Yeah, Eugene, Oregon. <laughs> um, what else? All right. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Uh, that was Dave and I covering the Dreamlands. In just a moment or two, we will be talking about Dimensional Shamblers after the break. So we'll see you then, everyone. Hey everybody, this is David, and we're getting in, we're getting everything ready for the the uh, next season, and we're going to get back to having uh, regular interviews, but I uh, got a little bit of time, thought maybe we'd talk about something that is uh, near and dear to my heart. We're going to talk about an alien, a con man, a figment of somebody's imagination, most people call it an entity. And that entity we're talking about today is Indrid Cold. Now, those of you who recognize the name and know what I'm going to who I'm going to be talking about probably first heard it in one of two ways. 
either the book or the movie, The Mothman Prophecy. Now, before I go into Indrid Cold, uh, I want to talk just shortly about and then leave the movie. The movie has certain things that John Keel said happened in his book, but a lot of it was never meant to be more than fiction. And let's be frank here, I often think that maybe a lot of what Keel wrote was meant to be fiction, too. And the movie is horror in the fact that, you know, after I saw it, I thought I saw red, you know, glowing eyes in, in windows for hours afterwards. For what it is, it's a great movie in the fact that it's scary in this non-repetitive jump scare, uh, blood and gore way that most horror movies are. Now, in his review of the movie, uh, Paul Meehan, you know, basically said, you know, aliens don't really, you know, spit out uh, end of the world doomsday prophecies in UFO literature. Well, we've got to be reading different literature there because from a lot of the stuff that I've read, especially the stuff that 50s, 60s, early 70s, you know, where the, the Mothman prophecy supposedly happened, you know, that's their bread and butter. Aliens were always spouting uh, semi-pseudo-Judeo-Christian, you know, prophecies. So, yeah, and we've got to remember that this is also associated with the case where the term high weirdness was coined. It's going to be strange. It is interesting because it is strange. It is mysterious because it is strange. And bluntly, it is scary because it's strange. So in the movie, Will Patton plays Gordon Smallwood. Now this character is based on a real-world person named Woodrow Derenberger. Now, Derenberger definitely had his ups and downs. He didn't have an easy life. But he fares a lot better than the fictitious Smallwood, who basically seems to be obsessed by this and dies because he's left out in the cold or was he murdered by this entity you know that's one of the things that the movie leaves blank for you that didn't happen uh, Darren Berger will pass away but he'll live much longer than his fictitious movie counterpart and his death will be much less mysterious so let's talk about the person or entity that is going to make Woody Derenberger famous, Indrid Cole. In November 1966, in West Virginia, Derenberger is driving home from work. And he sees what is probably the most uniquely shaped spaceship that's ever reported. And he describes it kind of like the chimney of a hurricane lamp so it's sort of flared on the top and the bottom and then it's tubular until it gets kind of 
flared out, become sort of almost uh, egg-shaped at the bottom, and then goes tubular a little bit longer and flares out. Uh, for those of you who did not grow up with hurricane lamps, um, and then it basically lands in front of his truck, and this person comes out, and this person's wearing a coat, it's light blue, maybe a little lighter blue pants, he looks like a human being, but the thing that catches Derenberger's attention, and then later for decades, the occult audience and the people that read UFO and supernatural encrypted stories is the man's seemingly never-ending smile. This is where he gets the, the nickname the grinning man or the smiling man. And this is what pop culture is going to remember the most about them. And the fact that if you look at any paintings, drawings, sketches done of Indrid Cole in the last 20 years, maybe 30 years, almost makes him look like pre-Heath Ledger Joker. And I would encourage just to Google it. Look at the pictures. They're decent art. and they're, they're all out there. In fact, the most famous is probably going to be on the cover of the book written by Darren Berger's daughter. Uh, and which is a bit ironic because then it contains in it the only reported known picture of Indrid Cole at Durenberger's funeral. Doesn't look anything like it does on the cover, but we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about comparing uh, Woody and his daughter's version of what Indrid Cole looked like. So Indrid Cole basically comes out of this spaceship and there's at least one other entity or other person in the background and he talks to Woody but he doesn't talk using his voice he is talking telepathically and he's asking he's very interested in Woody he's asking these very sort of folksy folktale questions in fact in my opinion he acts much more like a ghost or an elf than an alien. Um, but he talks to, to Woody, and, and he asks, you know, who you are you, and what are those lights over there? And, he, you know, Woody starts talking about the nearby city. He goes, well, what's a city? And he, after, you know, Woody basically explains what a city is, uh, Cold says, well, well, we have those too, but we call them gatherings. Cold always speaks in the plural as if he's representing others. He is representing his people, his race. Now, he is going to claim to come from a world called Elangulus, and that he is from outer space. Now, this is going to be sort of unique out of sight of the Derenberger family where he is going to be associated with a spaceship or aliens. And there are a few other encounters that have been tied into this 
this entity. But the other, again, they're going to be much more ghost-like, much more demon-like, as opposed to walking out of a weird-shaped UFO. In fact, there's going to be a report by two kids in New Jersey a full 17 days before uh, Woody sees this or has this encounter that many people associate with, with cold. So in October 1966, uh, about half a month before Woody said he saw what he saw, two boys walking home from New Jersey see this guy keep smiling at him. And instead of a blue suit, he's wearing a green metallic suit. And basically, he freaks them out and he chases them uh, and they escape. Now, this story got some play, uh, some airtime. Did it get told? And it's very possible maybe there was some sort of twisted person trying to play a joke, scaring these two kids. Um, but did that story get to, you know, uh, West Virginia in a couple of weeks? I doubt it. I don't think that that uh, Woody ever said that he was aware of the story. But because there were, not by the two boys, but other people around who claimed to have seen UFOs at the time, and because vaguely tall, blondish, smiling guy who keeps smiling seemed like a description of Indrid Cole, this was tied in as an Indrid Cole sighting before Woody. Now, shortly after where all this, this high weirdness is happening in West Virginia, one of the daughters of one of the families that had seen the Mothman claimed to have seen this man smiling, staring over her bed while she was about to go to sleep of the proximity and mainly because Keel people you know people the book ties them the the book the Mothman prophecy ties these two incidents together although I'm pretty sure as I remember the man that she said she saw his main thing is he kept smiling and is grinning and scaring her which which I get you know, somebody's smiling, coming into your room, smiling and not talking. That's pretty disturbing. But I'm pretty sure she didn't say he said anything. And he definitely didn't identify himself as Indrid Cole. Now, Indrid and his extended family, he would bring children, would come and see Woody's family. In fact, there's a story about, you know, everybody wait, looking around waiting for his UFO to, to land so they could see, you know, the entered Cole and he drives up in a Volkswagen and everybody around the house doesn't realize it's him. And this is where, according to his daughter, again, we get more sort of this folklore legend. Um, again, I would almost mischievous spirits more than aliens. And where... They, she says, you know, that there are certain spaceships that are flying by and that they have evil aliens in them, but that they didn't harm people, but they would come and, like, steal things to inconvenience you. 
and I don't think anyone doubts that they believe this. I, I think that, that, especially what he went through and everything, that Woody Derenberger, people believe that he believes. They may not believe that, you know, he saw an alien or a spirit or something, but I think most people believe that he believed. And the same thing, if you listen to interviews that his daughter has done even, you know, decades later, she comes off as at least that she believes this. And other sort of unusual high awareness things such as, you know, the daughters could come, but after a certain age, they don't go out into space anymore because girls just don't explore space. So Tania Derenberger eventually writes down her version of the story in a book called Beyond Langulos, which is basically her growing up with being occasionally visited by this alien entity and its family. And she remembers that, yeah, he smiled once in a while, but not like crazy. That Not, not that smile that her father latched onto, especially the first time. You know, that he smiled often, you know, he was friendly enough, but that he had a complete variety of facial expressions. In fact, it definitely does seem that there was somebody who eventually or originally took the mantle of Indrid Colt that would visit the Derenbergers. And like I said, it appeared at according to his daughter, at Woody's funeral, but that nobody recognized him. And not only that was, you know, it was a funeral, so he wasn't grinning and smiling. He wore regular black clothes, and he had aged. He'd grown older, just like human beings. And she does have a picture uh, that does appear in her book, and it looks like picture of anybody's you know older uncle uh, attending a a um, family event wearing black clothing and a, a white hat despite you know some fame and she did write a book Derenberger and, and and his daughter really didn't make any money off of this um, and he's gonna go through a lot um, he's gonna disappear for weeks at a time and um, sometimes that may be accredited to going to another planet, and sometimes it'll be bluntly he's just sleeping off a drunk. And, and I, I bring this up, honestly, not to, to ridicule the guy, not to say, so, oh, that he was a drunk, that he made this all up. More, I mean, he may have had some heavy drinking issues that most good old boys in West Virginia and, you know, the 60s had, but that. It was the stress of these events and everything that happened, whether it was imaginary or real, or whether he, he believed it or not, created a lot of difficulties for him, possibly even ruining his marriage. Now, there's different versions about this, and, and his wife was definitely long-suffering. There are accounts, especially from... Uh, from his daughter 
you know, that Woody would come up to his wife and say, oh, you went to the grocery store and you ran into these people randomly and you bought this. And he said that, you know, the aliens would tell him that they were sort of... And she seemed to feel that he was spying on her because of this. And this definitely led to serious stress in the family. Eventually, they are going to leave. And one of the things that Keel points out that Woody ends up with uh, a younger, more attractive uh, partner, and that this, he said, Keel points out sort of the way that only Keel can get away with is that that's not uncommon for like UFO gurus. But I don't think that relationship lasted very long. Nowadays, thanks to the internet, Ender Cole has become more of a creepypasta. He's associated with a lot of boogeyman type characters. But he started because a salesman driving his truck on Interstate 77 claimed that he saw something back in 1966. And whether he did or didn't or thought he did and didn't, whether it was a real person who was maybe tricking him or I don't know. But what I do know is that Andrew Cole is a true American cryptid, a true American entity in the ways that say Bigfoot is or the Greys. Maybe he's not as well known, but for those who really study high weirdness or the occult or the mysterious or just the strange he in a lot of ways templifies these new post-Kennedy fears that America is going to go through that this new time he's he's sort of straddling between the contactees who are our space brothers coming to warn us about dropping bombs and how we should love this our god creator and and you know teach the russians to love and these gray aliens that are landing in farmhouses and literally ripping people from their bed and taking them to places to experiment he's this entity in between he's leaving the old world contactees and entering the new world abduct abductees. He's the last of the great alien gurus or mass known alien gurus. And in some ways, as scary as the grinning man is, I'm almost nostalgic for his his old ways of of folksy legends and benign messages. This is David Heath and this has been part of the People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos and hopefully starting our new season soon we're going to continue with some interviews as well as some stories about the things that interest us the most. Thank you once again for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. You can help show your support by going to the show notes and following any of the links that'll tell you how to support the show, how to support our guests, and thank you to all
all of our guests who you can find in the show notes. Rate, review, subscribe, and remember, patrons get priority access to asking us questions, suggesting topics, even, I don't know, uh, submitting stuff. Actually, you don't have to be a patron to submit anything. That's how Dave got on the show, and that's how you can get on the show, too. It's the people's guide to the Cthulhu mythos. Rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. Thank you for listening. Back to the show. Hello, everyone. We are back. Me and Dave, to my virtual right, as always. And uh, Dave, how, how how's it going since the break? You know... Uh... Hey, we had, you know, yeah, the, that happened. The, the, yeah, so yeah. Yeah. We yeah. had a break. We did have a break. So, dimensional shamblers. What are they? Where do they come from? And how do you get rid of them? <laughs> so, I'm not sure, too. So, if the word dimensional shambler comes up in the... I've got to reread the story. Yeah. But they first appear in the horror in the museum. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Yeah. Uh, just kind of, uh, just kind of, uh, kind of, kind of, just like not even in action. Just its skin. Just, just a, a stuffed dimensional shambler. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, and and I think it's important that we note that uh, the horror in the museum. Mm-hmm is a joint work by Lovecraft and Hazel Helt. Yep, yep. And with all of their combined work, I don't think anyone really knows how much is Hazel and how much is Howard. Yeah. Uh, I've always got the feeling that she was one of his more active contributors. Yeah. And that he did, but that still he did more than just edited her grammar. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, they're, they're pretty cool. They're pretty cool. Um, and I have to say, uh, they have appeared in Horror in the Museum, I, wa- I think it was. Um, and they're described originally in Clark Ashton's story, The Hunters from Beyond. Um, and I know they appear in Call of Cthulhu, the RPG, and also the video game Quake, because as we've mentioned before, Sandy Peterson, who was the original author of the Call of Cthulhu RPG, uh, was also one of the major people making the Quake video game back in 93, 94, 95, 96, 97. Yeah, it's like, no, no, because Doom came out in 93, so that would have meant that Quake came out in, yeah, (laughs) 95, um, or something like that. Anyway, uh, what else can we say about Dimensional Shamblers? And and to say something here, too, you definitely hit on so they appear in Hunters from Beyond, mm-hmm. yeah, which I believe was published in 1932. Yeah, the horror of the museum is 1933. Yeah, but that's published dates. Mm-hmm. 
I and, and if someone knows better than me, by all means correct us. But I believe that the horror in the museum was written first. Oh yeah, that wouldn't surprise but not me. Published first. Yeah, something uh, like, something very similar happened with Sathagua. Um, I think Clark Ashton Smith created Sathagua and wrote about Sathagua, but Lovecraft stuff got published first, which is kind of an oddity considering the fact that Clark Ashton Smith generally got published more than Lovecraft, but... <laughs> and, and, and faster. And faster, yeah. Because <laughs> he well, didn't handwrite is, everything. And, yeah. um, there what's definitely that? is a chain of writing where people are bouncing things off and giving suggestions. Yeah, yeah. So... I don't know this for a fact, but everything that I've read is that they are the concept came from um, either Lovecraft or, or uh, Hazel Held. Yeah. Not that Smith couldn't have created something like this. Mm-hmm. Not that it's not very close to some of the other Smith creations. Sure. I just don't think Smith, you know. Smith was a very, um, I'm just going to say it. Smith was probably autistic, yeah. which is fine, but autistic people tend to be honest as they see the world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I don't think, I don't think that he would lie about it. So, and I don't think he would take credit for it if it wasn't from him. Mm-hmm. I think it was just a very common practice to share ideas before they were published in that group. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think there's a lot of sharing of ideas and ideas that were kind of like, I don't know, uh, worked on a little bit, workshopped, I guess, through letters and correspondence in general. A lot of beta, what we call now beta writing. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. And one of the things is that in the horror of the museum, Mm -hmm. the shadows described as black. Yeah. In Hunters from Beyond, it's kind of a pale gray. Yeah, yeah. But they, they could be, you know, different colored cats, different colored people, different yeah. colored, um, you know, shamblers. Oh. But also the one in the museum is dead. Yeah, I was going to say it, the one, it, it may have oxidized or the not properly handled and, you know, or it may be fake. That's the, turned, the other thing. Fake or turned to leather. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, no. Um, yeah, they're, they're generally like, uh, what, described as like... Uh, ape-like, kind of canine-like, but also insectoid at the same time. <laughs> um, has long arms with huge claws. Um, and yeah, that's that's kind of how they're, they look in Quake. And I'm looking at an illustration that I'm not sure where it's from of one, and it, it looks like an... I don't know. It looks like an ape with no eyes and a big giant uh, toothy mouth and claws, but yeah. Um, they come from outside of our dimension, that's that's known, and they can pretty much um, move in between dimensions, but it's not like they're using a spell, it's like, I think, a natural ability, if, if I was gonna guess anything. And they hunt people, and then they suck them into their own dimension. Um, I don't know. <laughs> so, so, so uh, you know, maybe a couple. So, a couple of things here. Mm-hmm. Um, apes are they're they're this huge feature in pulp. 
Yes. And part of that, because, you know, you're going into Africa, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. that's what, no. Gorillas aren't, gorillas have only been scientifically proven, I think, somewhere in the 20s. Okay. Um, but uh, we see, of course, uh, the white apes mm-hmm. in uh, uh, Congo. <laughs> no, Sorry. I was going to say uh, the the pins story where where oh Arthur Germain yes yeah. thank you uh, which we'll leave it but I mean it shows that there's some interest and and apes mm-hmm. and then within a year that these stories are going to be released the biggest of all ape stories King Kong yeah but you know. And whether they knew it was, I mean, I I believe there was a lot of hype because this was, that was the special effects movie. Yeah. Um, and and so definitely you got a lot, you got interest in uh, apes. You got the possibility, you know, we talked about our part one, you know, the, the, the cover uh, article, mm-hmm. you know, often have apes because yeah. they're interesting to draw. Yeah. So uh, that and then take let's, but let's not just make them regular monkeys. Sure. Let's let's give them some insect things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's make them alien in some way. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's let's take a couple of things that are scary and smash them all together, like things that you normally see on the covers of pulp magazines. Uh, people being attacked by apes. People being attacked by dogs. People being attacked by giant insects. I mean, if you look at covers of pulps, there are so many dogs attacking people. Um, insects attacking people when you go into like the more sciencey fiction stuff and the more naturalistic pulps always have not always have but a lot of the times have like gorillas or gorilla like creatures or like gorilla human uh, 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 anyway uh, mixes um, chimera I don't know but yeah um, definitely I, I, I always never really think about that how gorillas at some point in time were kind of this like shorthand for like the scary stuff about like what's in Africa that we don't know about um, I don't know it's 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 interesting thing and I know that we've talked about like the people who made gorilla suits for uh, the old black and white films the two three reelers and whatnot um, like whether it be Robot Monster or oh no wait a minute that wasn't you I talked that was uh, Derek M. Cook that I talked to about <laughs> we, we look a lot alike I know I know um, but yeah no uh, Derek and I talked about uh, in his episode about Robot Monster about how there are there was a bunch of people who would make their own gorilla suits for these movies in the 30s and 40s uh, 20s, 30s, and 40s, and then the 50s, too, because then that kind of stuff kind of slowly went into, um, like, oh, B-movies and such. I mean, I don't have to tell you this, but, yeah, no, no, it's 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 interesting how gorillas are big in pulp, uh, gorillas are big in B-movies, and just kind of, like, there's there's this... I don't know, level of quality <laughs> that runs through it all. <laughs> I'm not going to say it's high quality. I'm just going to say that it's quality. 
<laughs> but it's something that the, the audience can relate. To. Oh, definitely, definitely. And, and, and if you can draw, if you can draw a warrior, you can draw a monkey, probably. Probably. Or a yeah, yeah, and you know that way you can also like put big sharp teeth and claws on like some sort of like I don't know um, monkey human hybrid. Um, so, what can these things do? Because if we're going to talk about how to use one in your D&D game, we should probably talk about, I don't know, what they can do. I mean, they can go between dimensions, they can kidnap people. I mean, do you then have a, I don't know, uh, journey into the astral plane or outer, prime, outer planes or I don't know. So, the only time I've ever really used this was in a, a GURPS. Uh, it was either a Warehouse 23 or possibly a uh, uh, Black Ops, uh -huh. where basically the creature is sent as a, an assassin. Mm. And, and that's the first place I've ever seen them, was reading about them in, in <clears throat> yeah. Call of Cthulhu books. And, you know, then, uh, so I read the, not, not, I mean, the, the game books. Yeah. And then I finally got into the, the revisions and the, the, the co-writings, but I got in to this case before and that's I think how it's usually used okay. as sort of a, a hit demon Ooh. it's something summoned in to take out or because the party went to some place they should not have been okay because my first thought was what if you used a I don't know if you used a dimensional shambler um, in place of like a Grendel uh, in place of Grendel for like a uh D&D, uh, &D, Beowulf, Call of Cthulhu hybrid. <laughs> I'm, sure. I'm just like this big hulking thing with claws and teeth that could, you know, uh, attack a bunch of dudes and then get out of there. I mean, it's a little harder to track its track it back to its lair and what the heck is its mother? <laughs> um, other things I've thought of is like, uh, if you caught an extra dimensional shambler uh what kind of magical items could you make with the leather or with the teeth or the claws or you know would it have any magical properties um yeah i mean that's that's the kind of stuff that i think about when i run across monsters like this it's like oh could you tan the hide and make uh boots that aren't ne necessarily ethereal but have some sort of uh i don't know maybe cure boots in a certain way that make it so that it's a dimensional anchor? Who knows? Sure. Yeah. You know, and I think, and again, this is probably much more of a modern. Sure. But instead of calling the dimensional shambler, mm -hmm. go to their dimensions. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Which, which is sort of like, I guess, a sort of oozy liquid dimension that mm -hmm. you, you get trapped in. Okay. But maybe if, maybe, you know, the secret government agency or maybe your wizard has a spell or the yeah. agency is discovered. You know, you you can go there, but you gotta wear like a a class four hazmat suit, Ooh. And, and everything is, you know, it's like moving through molasses, and mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, um, I so I think that would be especially if you got sort of a scientific, oh yeah, uh, and where it's kind of hinted in the stories that they sort of if you go there they just pick you off. So, but now they've got a hunt them but they're hunting you in their their world what they know so the thing that's popping into my head right now is isn't this just basically the the the, the um demigorgon from stranger things you definitely um 
you know what? I, I would say that they are very closely resembled, yes. I'm, I'm like, wait a minute. That's... It's 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 yeah it's it's like the Stranger Things um, demo dem what did they call it they called it a demigorgon from demigorgon, like yeah. yeah okay okay um, but yeah no it's it's like I'm thinking about it 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 goes between a place that's kind of dirty and gross that is parallel to our world or uh, its dimension is right next to ours so it makes it really super easy for this thing to hop back and forth. It can take people, it can probably hurt people on both sides, but it definitely takes people and consumes them in its own world. Um, and and as, as we've discussed on the show in the past, uh, Stranger Things is definitely a throwback. I mean, definitely has some stuff that's very Lovecraftian or... Uh, Kingian, I don't know. What do you call stuff that's uh, Stephen King? Kingian? Do, do it, uh, yeah. <laughs> do we have a word and for it? Also, very um. Okay. Uh, Spielbergian. Yeah. But also, you know, if we're gonna Gygaxian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I, I was yeah. gonna say it's, it's, it's. You know, it's '80s movies. It's Dungeons and Dragons. But all this stuff goes back to the pulps <laughs> it's like b-movies dungeons and dragons so much of this stuff takes its inspiration from the pulps like even like comic books like we've discussed like the people who read that stuff in the 20s and 30s you know they were kids or young adults or even middle-aged men that you know decades after they had jobs in the creative field and they brought that stuff with them and dimensional shambler is just i'm thinking about it now it's like not only do we have like the old uh ape connection but we also have like um new stuff that comes off of this stuff too now it's like uh i i feel like in horror anthologies you always have like kind of like what if you had a monster that could go between dimensions i, I you know there's there's like stuff like this in tales from the dark side twilight zone uh, various uh iterations of um like you know your your night galleries and stuff like that will generally have an episode kind of about a monster like this uh some maybe that monster speaks or or maybe it's something that i don't know uh, it's it's now that i think about it it's like this is very much kind of like hounds of the uh hounds of tintalos in some ways that it's like something that comes from a place that if you need to get something back or if you need to rescue someone that's not going to happen because not only is it outside of space uh with the hounds of tintalos it's outside of time and probably shouldn't mess with time anyway. Uh, yeah. But yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, man. The, the whole concept of a dimension that's right next to ours, that something can like hop back and forth and grab stuff. I think uh, D&D also has the ethereal filter, or is that Planescape? I'm not quite sure. It's one of the two. I think that it... I think it may have started in Planescape, and then... Oh, I, I meant Pathfinder. <laughs> I oh, can't no, remember no, if it's, no, but it's I, D&D but or I Pathfinder. Like 3.5. Okay, okay, cool, cool. Yeah, I think so, too. So, yeah, uh, you have the Ethereal Filter, which is like kind of like a thief version of this, stu- uh, this guy, um, or a rogue version of uh, a Dimensional Shambler. But, yeah, um, these, these uh, Dimensional Shamblers... Oh, scary, scary, scary. Because it's like, how do you defend yourself against a dimensional shambler? What if uh, your kingdom, what if your uh, 
I don't know, neck of the woods? What if you're where you're at, places that you're traveling from are being attacked by multiple? Um, you know, uh, that's, that's, I, I, I don't think, uh, dimensional shamblers are the one trick pony that people generally think of them as, is like, you know, oh, you use them as like a interdimensional assassin or a monster that you call up to devour someone or something like that. It's like, I don't know. What if, um, what if someone who killed one once then figured out that like, uh, their teeth or their, uh, finger bone nail things uh have some sort of magical properties what if it has some sort of like uh their eye core yeah yeah uh has like a lot of like super awesome magical properties and a wizard says hey i need you to get me i don't know 30 kilograms of this ecor. Unfortunately, um, you only get about like five ounces per shambler. So get going. <laughs> yeah. um, I don't know. Uh, stuff like that. Um, hunt stuff for, uh, you know, profit. Um, let's see. What other kind of stuff do you think you could do with a dimensional shambler? You could have, a, you, you could play monsters. I mean, you could play monsters and play a dimensional shambler. Um, I mean, that's a little bit of a different game than uh, D&D, but I mean, I don't know. I, I'm sure at some point in time, everyone's played a game where they play monsters instead of PCs, but, or maybe that was just my group. But. <laughs> you know, and they're, they are hunters. Mm -hmm. Yes, they are. So you could definitely do a, a predator type campaign, whether oh, it definitely. be medieval, or you know, it could be that this jumps to this dimension because it's once the the challenge of hunting what's here, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it could be something like the party is trying to rescue the princess, or yeah. or, or or something. And then all of a sudden they start seeing, you know, deer being chopped up and then they see, you know, uh, the enemy and uh, they have to basically they rescue the princess and they have to escape back with uh, with this thing hunting them. Yeah. And pure, purely for sport. Yeah. Or um, what if a king hires you or a royal person or someone of importance hires you to rescue back someone who they think was kidnapped by... Uh, a rival kingdom. That rival kingdom knows nothing. They don't know anything. There's nothing. Uh, maybe you have some sort of magic guy at the rival kingdom who's like, this sounds like the work of this. And then you have to go and research that. And then you have to do this, you have to do that. And then slowly work your way to a parallel dimension of slime. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, def definitely. Or, you know, it could be added... You know, you could add it pretty much into any mm -hmm. existing campaign. It's just something to throw something on. And it could be that the wizard wants revenge on you. Yeah. It could be, you know, that you're just in its territory or the territory it's hunting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so, that yeah, there's a lot of different choices other than, you know, way a lot of us use it is just sort of the 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 mystical assassin yeah so i just read while they seem to grab their victims they usually use a form of hypnosis i hadn't even thought about that or heard about that 
that uh, shamblers use hypnosis and then pull people into a dimension. I mean, there's something else to think about. Um, <laughs> about you know, it could start out as a missing persons case. Oh yeah, 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 definitely. And you know, that's how you could like start it out in your uh, Cthulhu by Gaslight, your uh, Ravenloft campaign. You know, Ravenloft's a little bit more modern than your standard D and D. You know, because you need electricity for Frankenstein's. Um, <laughs> no, but you do need electricity for brain golems and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, yeah. Um, and I was thinking, like, wow, could you? You could do that for Shadowrun too. It's just not a lot of interdimensional stuff with like uh, games more like that. Well, well, you know what reminds me of in Shadowrun. <laughs> Is the bug totems? Oh yeah, especially the the manis totem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hadn't even thought about Bug City, but yeah, yeah. That that would be pretty pretty cool. Um, yeah, I, I could. Uh, you could you could even like do a Dreamlands campaign. <laughs> Absolutely. Because if they can come through the, I mean, what if um, you end up finding a link from the Dreamlands to our world that you have to go through the gray slime first, you know, the stuff that consumes people. <laughs> Maybe figure out how to get a raft or fl build something that you can float through. Or, heck, maybe even uh, you're in the dreamlands and somehow you end up in that in-between world and you have to figure out how to get back to the dreamlands or back to the waking world. I don't know. Or you could do like a Bug City campaign uh -huh. for D&D. Yeah. This old you know, city has been taken over by these dimensional shamblers and, mm -hmm. you know, try to re you know, retrieve any artifacts or treasures or... Or eventually wipe them out to reclaim the city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just like trying to think of like what other kind of stuff could you do? Um, yeah, I, I bet there's probably some way that you could make it so that dimensional shamblers can't uh, dimensionally shamble. Like maybe if you throw some sort of combination of, I don't know, um, like liquid silver and mercury, you know, and salt, or like I don't or know, or destroy, destroy the MacGuffin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some way you have to destroy the MacGuffin. Um, I don't know. I I kind of like the idea of like making some sort of like salt with mercury, silver, and I don't know, a bunch of scary things and which which uh getting the components for could be part of its own uh like you know wizards like oh i i need to do this thing i need to catch this this monster but first i need you to go out and get all this stuff for me and then do all that and then that could end up being its own adventure there but i don't know dimensional shamblers pretty cool <laughs> also pretty scary so. yeah yeah, definitely. All right. Well, hey, everyone. It is the end of the show. Um, if you're still here, congratulations. Uh, something I want... If you're not, please, hopefully, you weren't grabbed by a dimensional shambler and returned to its dimension. Exactly. Exactly. Um, what I wanted to say is, earlier, I talked about astounding... Or, or astonish, astonishing stories of super science. Um, 
As, as many of you know, we do an audiobook series during the weekday, and we are going to be covering Astounding Stories of Super Science. Uh, That's astounding. That's astounding indeed. Uh, for all of season 15, which is coming up in December, as soon as we hit, I'm not December, February, as soon as we hit February, season 15 starts, and we will be covering all kinds of cool things. I have to figure out what we're covering for the show, because uh, I think I have one more episode before season seven, and that's going to be Dunwich and Ibon. And if not, that's going to be the first of season 15. Uh, and hey, if uh, you are still listening, why not uh, treat yourself to some copper cow coffee, Vietnamese pour over, just, you know, tear the little paper out, pour your coffee in, let it sit for a little bit, and you have got some really, really fine coffee, cheaper than Starbucks, cheaper than most stuff. It's like a buck forty for uh, this, and it comes with creamers or not with creamers, depending on what you got going on. Also, I would like to shout out to Tazos Down Ground Chocolates out of Somerset, Massachusetts. Love that stuff. I picked some up for the holidays, and it was delicious. Love the peppermint bark. And also, there's no dairy in it, which is good for me, because I'm lactose intolerant. And finally, I want to give a shout out to Donner Musical Instruments. I just picked a new MIDI controller up because my old one got busted. And I now have a new keyboard. So look forward to some more keyboard music in the show. So, Dave, anything you have to say before we head off into that uh, frightful night? We'll see you next week. All right. Sounds good. And uh, rate, review, subscribe, tell your ma, tell your pa. We'll ship you down to South Agua. Check out PGTTCM.com for that T-shirt. And, ooh, we got a new T-shirt in the shop. It is a, uh, looks like a death metal shirt. It's got a skull on it. And then uh, People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos written in that um, typeface that looks like um, cracked vinyl seating. So, yeah. All right. We'll see you next time, everyone. Bye.